Hello, Pastor Matt here. At New Life Baptist Church, we are pleased to be able to make these resources available to the public. Our desire is that these online resources or any other resources you find online would never be used to replace you joyfully belonging to a local church body, but rather that they would be supplemental for your walk with Christ. I pray that through this sermon, the word of the living God would stir your affections for Christ, strengthen your commitment to him, and broaden your understanding of who he is. And we are continuing on in the Faithful Sojourners series as we study the first letter of Peter to the elect exiles in the dispersion or to all Christians throughout time and space, which we would certainly be included with. All of you will be familiar with Jesus' words from the Great Commission when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These are the marching orders for the church universal, and by extension, the church local, or this particular gathering. But so often we see that there is an emphasis on the word go from the Great Commission. And therefore, you see churches that do a lot of things, with heavily emphasizing the word go. They feed the hungry, they take mission trips, they have campus outreach, coat drives, etc., and so on. Now, these are certainly all very good things, but this focus is often to the detriment of the rest of the commission. On the other hand, there is a heavy em emphasis on making disciples and baptizing them. And therefore, you'll see churches who are solely focused on what they call decisions for Christ. In other words, they do all that they can. They gear the whole service on Sunday morning even to get people to raise their hand at the end or come to the altar or check the box on the connection card that says they are committing their life to Christ. Now listen, we, we obviously want to see people saved. We want to see people saved and see people baptized, but seeing people make a decision for Christ is not the only thing. Christ also said that we are to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not only are we to go for Christ, not only are we to win people for Christ, we also want to see people grow in Christ. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, this was certainly Peter's mentality as well if not all the more so, since he was there when the resurrected Savior issued this command. So, in chapter 1, he spoke of the importance of setting our hope 
on the grace to come, on being holy and no longer being conformed to our former passions, on being holy as God is holy, on conducting ourselves with the fear of the Lord, and on loving one another with brotherly love. So now, what will be Peter's focus in chapter 2 as we begin to move forward? Well, let's see. Let's stand together as we read 1 Peter chapter 2. We have verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. This is the word of the living God. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we now turn our attention to hear from you, from your word, I ask that you would empower me to clearly, clearly draw out the divinely intended meaning of this text, not for my own glory or fame, but so that your word can clearly be proclaimed today. And I pray that by your spirit, it will go beyond people's ears, into our minds and into our hearts, transforming us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what it means to long for your word like newborn infants, and that you would produce that in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. The title of our sermon today, as you can see in your bulletin, is Longing for the Word, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. To long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow. That is the central thought of our passage this morning. And so since this command is the central idea of these three verses, we're going to spend our time today examining this longing that Peter is talking about. We're going to look at it in six different ways, as you see in your bulletin. The first major heading for us is the object of the longing. This is from the middle of our passage in Chapter 2, verse 2, the second half. He says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Let's take a moment first to draw out the meaning of, of what does it mean to long for in this verse. This is a, a word that is used throughout the New Testament primarily to indicate the longing that is felt in a relationship when you haven't seen each other in a long time. Paul uses it in Romans 1.11. He says, I long to see you. It's also used of Christians who are longing for the glorified body that we will put on on the last day. 2 Corinthians 5.2, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. But it's also translated as yearn. And that's how James uses it in referring to God in chapter 4, verse 5 of his book, he says that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This is a strong, persistent desire, and it's displayed well for us in Psalm 
42, you know this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is actually the same word in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. It's the same word that Peter is using, used by the psalmist here when it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams. So you see, this is, this is what Peter is saying when he means long for the milk. Now we're going to see later how Peter intensifies that longing But for now, suffice it to say that this is a strong, inner, persistent desire that Peter is referring to. But what is the object of the longing is the pure spiritual milk. Well, what does that mean? Where do you buy spiritual milk? The word behind spiritual, we looked at it this morning in Sunday school, it's logikos which can mean reasonable. It's the same word that Paul used in Romans chapter 12, referring to your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship. But the word initially was used to refer to that which was of speech. It's of the same word where we get logos, which if you remember John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. The Logos was God. That's the Word. I'm telling you all of this because though I love the English Standard Version translation, I think that the NASB translates this passage better because it says to long for the pure milk of the Word. Long for the pure milk of the word. This is a better translation of what Peter is saying because of the context that this passage is in. Remember our passage from last week, how many times Peter said word. He said the word of the Lord, the word of God, the word of the Lord remains forever. The word is the good news preached to you. He was referring to the word of God and that we are born again by this word of God. So we are being exhorted to have a strong desire for God's word, to have a deep inner longing for the nourishment of the scriptures. Have you thought about the Bible that way? To long for it the way a deer longs for the water. What motivates this longing? How can I get there? Our second heading, the motivation for the longing, is from verse 1. It's found in, so. Or it might say, therefore, in your translation. We know very well that therefore, or so, is pointing us back to what was just said. It's a chain link that was connecting a theme from what was just said to what is now going to be said. In this case, Peter wants his readers to keep in mind what he just wrote about being born again. We see that connection because he says milk. He says, 
newborn infants. So, since you've been born again, because of what God has done, Peter is reminding us that we have been reborn according to the great mercy of God. And while that is certainly a most wonderful truth, it is a reality that brings responsibility to bear on the Christian. It is a reality that carries responsibility. We talked this morning about both the indicatives and the imperatives of the gospel. That there are truths to be believed and there are truths to be obeyed and to be lived. And we see this taking place once again here in the second chapter of 1 Peter. So let us remember then as we work through this section, it's not a command to long for God's word that you may be saved. The motivation behind the longing is we have been reborn, is we have this great inheritance. It is that God by his own mercy and his own sovereign will has caused us to be born again. That is the motivation for the longing. So we are to long for the word of God because we belong to the God of the word. We are to long for the word of God because we belong to the God of the word. Hallelujah. Number three, the hindrances to the longing. The second part of verse one. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. There are hindrances to the longing for God's word this way. There are things that will hinder you from having this deep inner desire for God's word. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't desire God's word that way. Why? Well, there are hindrances to this inner longing. A large part of the Christian life is centered around unlearning old ways, habits, and desires, and learning new ones. Our flesh, the world, and the devil are diametrically opposed to anything resembling holiness, righteousness, and Christ-likeness. That is, our flesh and the world and the devil. Not everything's just the devil's fault. Sometimes it's just your own sinful nature. We can't blame everything on Satan. I spilled my coffee on my shirt, not today, Satan. That's what we're like, isn't it? Oh, I have done this. I, I sinned again. Not today, Satan. James tells us that we sin when we are lured away by our own sinful desire. You want to find... I won't go there. Our flesh and the world and the devil. It's all three. It is the unholy trinity, if you will. The flesh, the world, and the devil... We know the flesh is opposed to God's will because it cannot and it will not submit to God's law according to Romans chapter 8. It cannot and it will not submit to God's law. Thus, your own flesh is your first major hindrance to your desiring of the pure milk of the word. I've said this before, but you want to find your worst enemy in your spiritual growth. Go look in the mirror. 
we are our worst enemy because of the flesh. But take heart, brothers, we all battle the flesh. There's no one in here, myself included, who has mastered their flesh. You know why? None of us are Jesus Christ. None of us are in a glorified body. We all battle against our flesh. Now, as, a, as an aside, when we're talking about longing for the Word today, we don't mean just one specific way. In other words, it's not only referring to desiring to hear God's Word preached clearly. That's part of it. But this is just an overall longing for the Word. Reading it, studying it, hearing it, praying it, learning about it, and so on and so forth. Our flesh, our bad habits, they manifest as hindrances in various ways. But here we find that Peter gives us an example of five specific ways, doesn't he? Now these are not only hindrances to desiring God's words, but it is also a list of hindrances to practicing brotherly love that we learned about last week. Let's look at it. First he says to put away. As I said a bit ago, a large part of the Christian life is centered around unlearning your old ways and learning new ways. Scripture speaks of this as putting off and putting away. It is a verb that was used at times to refer to the taking off of soiled garments. We remember a couple of weeks ago, Josh taught through Colossians 3 on Wednesday night, and we talked about that, that it's putting off the way you would dirty clothing. That's the kind of image that we get here whenever uh, Peter is writing to put away malice and deceit. Peter had previously said in verse 14 to not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance and that you've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So then take off, as it were, the soiled garments of your old nature. Don't be you anymore. Take, I say amen too. Yes, amen. Don't be your old self anymore. It is said that the early church during baptism, the person being baptized would take off the clothing that they wore to the baptism and leave them behind, and the church would provide them with new garments. And this was to signify that they were putting off their old nature as they go into the waters of baptism. And as they left the baptism, they left in this new clothing. They were now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What a beautiful image that is. It was a symbol for the reality of regeneration. And here, Peter is clearly not talking about changing our clothing, is he? But the putting away of the passions of our former ignorance. The word used here is translated this way six times in the New Testament. And five of the six times it is specifically referring to you putting off your old nature. In other words, this is a very important element of the Christian life. Put away certain things. No longer live, think, or act the way that you used to all the more so as it becomes a hindrance to your desire for God's word. We see that he says all malice. 
In English, when we think of malice, we think more specifically of, of bad intentions in a relationship, right? Something done maliciously towards someone else. But in Scripture, it's often used just to refer to evil in general. So really, Peter is just saying, put away all evil. Put away all of your sinfulness. All of it. And here are a few examples of what I mean. So all malice In chapter 2, here in verse 16, he's going to say, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, which is the same word that he uses here as malice. Perhaps James's use of this word is most helpful because it's translated as wickedness in James 1.21. Therefore, put away, you see the same theme, put away, all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. A very similar command to put away filthiness and wickedness and receive the word. And then he says all deceit. This is a word that is really more than just telling lies, but it's used of the sense of dropping bait. Do we have any fishermen in here? Not one fisherman. One fisherman, okay. We have people who buy fish, but not people who go fish. Okay, that's great. I don't either, it's okay. When you go fishing, you at least know this, you put bait on a hook, yes? You put bait on a hook. Different types of bait. We won't have that argument here today, but you drop the line into the water. The point is the fish sees the bait, thinks it's food, and gets hooked. Do you see that this is a deceitful thing to do to a poor fish? It is a delicious thing to do as well. But this is a, de- a way of deceiving the fish, isn't it? The fish thinks it's one thing, but it's really something else. And that's what's meant here, is that you are deceiving other people, making them think one thing when you really mean another. You know who's really good at this is salesmen. Sorry, Josh. Salesmen are really good at deceiving you, aren't they? Saying one thing, and I really meant something else. Hypocrisy. This was usually referred to, uh, used to refer to actors wearing a mask in plays of old. It was play acting. It was pretense, an outward show. But in the biblical sense, it is more specifically used to refer to insincerity, by virtue of pretending to have qualities or beliefs that you do not really have. You're an actor in a play. The play that you are playing a part in is called church. And you're playing the part of a Christian, but you don't really believe these things. You're just play acting. Jesus uses this word in Matthew 23, He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The point is, 
was that the Pharisees didn't really want to follow the Torah because they loved God, but because they loved the appearance of their own self-righteousness. Envy. Envy is referring to that feeling of jealousy over the success, status, or possessions of other people. Wanting what others have and then feeling bitter and hatred towards those who have it. So it's not simply wanting what someone else has, but sinfully wanting it to the point that it causes you to hold a grudge against somebody. This is demonstrated in Matthew 27 when Pilate brings forth Barabbas to have the crowd decide between Jesus or Barabbas regarding who would be set free. And it says in verse 18 that Pilate knew that they had delivered Jesus up because of envy. Imagine that. Envy produced so much hatred and bitterness that it was the underlying condition of heart that set in motion the events that led to the eventual crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder why Peter is telling us to put envy away? And then he says, all slander. Slanderous speech has the intention of defamation. That you are falsely speaking something with the purpose of damaging someone's reputation, making people think differently in a negative sense about someone else. What's the point here? None of these traits have room in the heart and life of a Christian. Evil breeds deceitfulness. You cannot love your brother and sister in Christ when you act deceitfully. Instead, you'll have to act hypocritically as those around you grow in Christ. And you want to deceive us all to cover up the malice in your heart. Hypocrisy leads to envy as you see that everyone's growing and thriving and desiring God's word and being used of God because of it. And perhaps the Lord's divine favor of blessing causes you to envy someone else. Then instead of love, you have hatred in your heart. So you begin to slander people. Any of this sin in your life, and any other sin certainly, will choke out brotherly love. And it will extinguish the flame of desire for God's word. If that is in your heart this morning, ask the Lord to search you. Ask for him to deal with your heart. Church, it's not worth it. Instead, we are to desire the word of God the way an infant desires milk. Let's look at the intensity of the longing. Verse 2, the first part. Like newborn infants. I say intensity here for this point because of Peter's description. He didn't only say like babies but like newborn infants. The terminology literally means born just now. It's a descriptive word being used for emphasis. A newly born baby cries for milk and strongly desires the milk. As a baby cries for that milk out of hunger, you could show it a stack of money You could show a baby a brand new car. You could show a baby a beautiful home. 
You could show baby images on the internet of a great vacation you plan to take. You could show this baby any myriad of things, but nothing is going to stop the cry of this newborn infant except for milk. It will continue to cry. Further, without milk, without the nourishment provided by milk, this child will not grow. It won't survive, will it? This is how we are to yearn for God's word, knowing that it provides nourishment that I need, knowing that if I do not get God's word into me, I will not survive. Understand this. No Christian has ever lived the Christian life faithfully in a manner pleasing to God without God's word. It's not possible. You can't do it. You know what you will do instead? Is you will live in hypocrisy. Because you will pretend to believe things that you don't believe. Instead, Peter is saying that no matter what your age is or how long you've been in the faith, in other words, he's, he's not calling them babies. He's not saying that they were just recently born again. That is to say that this doesn't only apply to new converts. He's talking about everybody. He's saying, if you are a Christian, long for God's word as though you were a child, as though you were a baby crying out for milk. That's how you are to desire God's word. No matter what your age is, no matter how long you've been in the faith, you are to intensely long for God's word as it is the source of what your spirit needs. As Jesus spoke in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. God's word is the only thing that will satisfy our souls, giving us the nourishment that we need to grow. This is why Jesus, after asking Peter if he loved him, he said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Don't let my sheep starve to death. Feed them. Did he mean that I'm supposed to bring you hay on Sunday mornings? Of course not. That would be absurd. Instead, he's saying, feed them the word. They shall not live by bread alone. Feed them my word. The sheep of the flock of God feast on the word of God. We need it to survive. We need it to grow. And as such, we are to cry out for God's word like a newborn cries out for milk. Unlike a child's hunger for milk, though, we will desire less of the word the less we read it. The less we listen to it, the less we want to hear it. The less we feel like reading it, the less we actually will ever read this is why we must cultivate this longing within ourselves through prayer. Notice, this is a command. Long for the milk. Desire God's word. He is commanding your affection. 
He is commanding your desire. So then, if I look within myself and I am bored by God's word, I do not have a desire for God's word, what do I do? I turn to God in prayer. And I remind myself of the motivations for the longing. I look at my life and see if there are any hindrances in the form of sin in my life, and I confess them and I rid myself of them. As we do this, we will mature, even if it's slow. Some people grow faster than others. All that matters is the growth. Are you growing? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you desiring Him more? And if not, why not? Number five, the purpose of the longing. That by it, you may grow up into salvation. There is a big difference between being old in church and mature in Christ. The two are not the same. As I said earlier, our faith is a growing faith. We do not want to simply see people come to Christ. We want to see people and be the people who grow in Christ. No one has ever planted a tree or flowers or vegetables in their garden being indifferent regarding whether or not those things ever grow. You plant so that things grow. In the same way, God, as the divine gardener, plants the seed of his word in you with the purpose of it growing. Though parents love to say, I wish you'd stay small forever to their adorable little child, no one truly has ever had a baby wishing that that baby would not grow up. Forty years later, I still have this infant and I'm still changing diapers that joy would soon turn to a trial, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And in the same way as God, as the divine life giver, gives life to those dead in their trespasses for the purpose of their growth and maturity in Christ's likeness. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15, in the context of speaking of the church, that we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. This is the purpose of the Christian life and Christian community, that we would grow in every way into Christ's likeness. And how do we do that? 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We long for the pure milk of the word. We study the word. We read the word. We listen to the word. We talk about the word. We sing the word. We pray the word. We cultivate a strong desire for the word that is on par with the craving that a newborn infant has for milk. Whether you're a recent convert or you've been in the faith for longer than I've been alive, your charge from the authoritative word of God is to long for more of God's word so that you can grow up into salvation. None of us in here this morning have achieved perfection. We all have much room to grow because none of us are anything like Jesus. For the rest of our lives, 
we will have the privileged duty of desiring God's word so that we can ever be growing until the day we receive the fullness of our salvation. That is, if indeed you have been saved. Sixth and finally, we look at the condition before the longing. Peter writes in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have tasted, in quoting Psalm 34, many commentators believe that Peter meditated on Psalm 34 as he wrote this letter because he quotes it a few times and here's the first time because in that verse, in that chapter of Psalm 34, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the idea here is that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I want more. It was delicious, and it was sweet as honey. It is the true child of God who desires more of God. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. Listen to this. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Oh, that God would cultivate that desire in us. I tasted your words, and they were a joy to me and the delight of my heart. To have tasted that the Lord is good is to have been born again. And when we've been born again, we'll notice that there is a new desire, a new taste for God's word where one did not previously exist. We will long for that which is sweet to us. We will long for that which we deeply desire. We will want to know more of this incredible God who has caused us to be born again according to his own great mercy. How, how can this be? I want to know more. Does this longing then spring forth from your heart this morning? Do you desire to know more of him? Or is God's word boring, dry, and lifeless to you? Know this. None in here can cultivate this desire without the work of God in our heart. Perhaps you felt a stirring in your heart this morning. Maybe when we walked through the examples of hindrances earlier, you became convicted of sin as you recognized yourself in the list. Maybe you are hearing of this desire for God's word and recognizing that you don't have this desire. If that is happening in your heart this morning, I want to tell you to call upon Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, call upon the name of the Lord. Let's stand.
Christian, we are to cultivate in our hearts a longing for the Word of God by rehearsing what God has done in and for you, by removing the hindrances of sin that would extinguish the desire, by readily admitting your great dependence on God's Word, and by remembering the sweet taste of the goodness of God that we may grow up into salvation.